So welcome back to another episode of the Elite Body and Performance Podcast. And today we are joined by another very special guest, Annie Yutch, who I first listened to in Vegas and Nashville um, when she shared her story where she helps, you know, business professionals really undercover their trauma freedom and behavior change. And her message is absolutely incredible. So we wanted to bring her on a podcast and share her amazing story. So thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Risa. There's no other place I'd rather be. Amazing. It's 5 a.m. over in Utah at this moment, right? It is, yes. I'm an early morning person, so it all works out for me. We are just discussing how we are more early birds than night owls. So before we take a bit of a deep dive into the episode, I'd absolutely love for the listeners to just know a little bit more about you, your story, and what kind of brought you into the world of trauma, freedom, and behavior change. Sure. Well, I didn't necessarily start in this world. What I started in actually was I went to school at Georgetown University for international security and law. And then I went to my master's program there for counterterrorism and international security. So I I definitely didn't start in this space. But what was interesting about it was I had met um, my now former husband, but business partner, and he was a former Navy SEAL. And between the work that I was doing in counterterrorism and his work, we started, you know, trying to change the behavior of people to help keep them more safe. And so that was a big starting point. And what we started to decide or what we started to identify is that there are so many fears and so many things that block people from living the life that they want to live. And especially, you know, it happened with him. And we spent about 15 years going through every therapy, every counselor, every healer, everything we could find to try to bring him back to himself. And along the ride, I realized, oh my gosh, there are things in me too that I have to change, I have to look at. And so that's really where everything that I'm talking about now came from was the 15 years of doing all this deep work on each of us to try to make sure that we could bring the absolute best to the people we were helping. Amazing. And I think, you know, as such high performers and, and, and business owners, it's so easy for us to always look externally and go, where do I need to help the business or help staff members? But a lot of the time, I suppose it's internally as well. And we almost need to be selfish to be selfless and, and have that ability to help other people more. So do you think that's something that, you know, you found from experience that's a big game changer for people, you know, within business and, and high performers? Well, actually what we found, and this was after 15 years of studying, we found that for all entrepreneurs, there's actually unresolved trauma in the entrepreneur that pushes you into that role as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And if you don't figure out what that unresolved trauma is, you're going to limit the growth of your company and yourself. So really from what we were perceiving, what we were learning, the more an entrepreneur could work on their own unresolved trauma, the bigger their impact in the world could be. Amazing. And I suppose that almost kind of comes back to the lies that you tell yourself, like, you know, on a day-to-day basis. And I think this is something that you touched on uh, in both Nashville and Vegas that was, it was really mind-blowing because you don't quite consider it until someone like yourself tells you and you almost sit back and go oh wow but I think I guess the biggest pe- uh, problem that people will probably be listening to this thinking is right so well and good knowing that I tell myself lies but you know how do I figure out what these lies are so where would somebody in that scenario start when it comes to figuring out the lies that they potentially tell themselves each day well I think the question that I usually ask people which opens everything up is where in your life are you suffering or do you feel like you're suffering? Because wherever there's a point where you're suffering, it's typically because that point of suffering is linked to a lie that you've told yourself that is really no longer true, but you're bringing it into your reality to make it so. So that's where I have people start. I always ask like, where in your life are you suffering? And let's start there. And then let's start looking at if you are suffering to a certain degree, what 
what's possibly the false reward that you've created from staying in that suffering. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a false reward, something that you don't really want, but maybe society celebrates you for that's keeping you stuck in that way of thinking or that way of being. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it, when people do have a lot of high stress on their plate and a lot of responsibility and a lot of pressure, if you will, I suppose that's a big thing that really comes up, you know, very often. And I think off the back of that, I remember there's, there's like the four staple lies, if you will, that we tend to tell ourselves. And I would love to kind of lean into that, if you don't mind, and what the biggest ones we generally tell ourselves are. Sure, I'd love to. I mean, this is where when I went back and I looked at, you know, 10 years of working with clients, I was like, okay, maybe there are some themes here that we can bring to light so that we don't fall into them as easily because then we sort of take that first layer of the onion off when it comes to working on ourselves. So there were four big lies that came up. And um, do you want me to just go into them and sort of share what each one was? I mean, if you're open to it, I would absolutely love that. Yes. I would love to. Okay. So the first lie, which I think most of us as business owners, entrepreneurs, and even those of us who aren't suffer from this is that we have a concept in our culture that productivity is absolutely essential for success. But what for a lot of people productivity becomes is this extreme overworking and almost an addiction that they think I have to get through my list. I have to get through all these things instead of being able to free form or flow with their day in a way that absolutely takes away from them. Absolutely. So that's number one. I'm sure that's something you've experienced. I've too. most definitely lent into that. And I also kind of find that there's almost times where I go, productivity is just how many hours I'm in the office. No matter what I'm doing, as long as I'm here, I must be productive because I'm in the environment. And I think that's definitely a lie. But I mean, I almost tell myself still to this day, I think it's definitely got better, especially since listening to yourself. It's definitely improved. But I think it's still a lie that we can almost get trapped in, I suppose, too often. <laughs> that's very true. And I mean, especially as high achievers and high performers, right? Because in our minds, if we just achieve, achieve, achieve to get to the next goal, then we're going to get to that goal and then we can set a new goal. Yeah, absolutely. The reality of that is if you keep setting goals and getting to them and then setting the next goal, you very it's a very unlikely experience to really experience the feeling of fulfillment and success. Of course. That's where, you know, the lie that we tell ourselves is we have to be productive, but there's this other fundamental truth there that as we, I hope, go through these lies and then get to the truths, we can bring some of that in as well because it's important for us as human beings to know okay if these are the lies what are the truths that yeah. we're absolutely missing that our brain is keeping from us absolutely so the first one is obviously from the productivity standpoint lie two lie number two all right so lie number two is it all falls on me this concept that we are the only ones that can get anything done so if you have a team and many entrepreneurs will say that oh my gosh the burden of everything falls onto me if i don't do it it won't get done so that's a really big one. And that's that lie is really something that pushes you into a place of not using your team or delegating to your team in the way that could be the most effective. Absolutely. I think, again, that's probably something else. I mean, most people are listening to this, but, you know, even I suppose outside of the world of entrepreneurship as well. I mean, most of our listeners generally are, you know, within a position where they're either execs, court professionals or business owners. But I think I guess I can really refer back to your everyday person when they try to hold on to burdens, be that through, I don't know, maybe they've gone through a tough breakup and they think oh, I've got to do this all on my own or potentially they're just going through a, a tough patch mentally or whatever it may now be. But I suppose I could almost be delegating, you know, how you feel onto those closest to you, whether that's through entrepreneurship or personal beliefs and, you know, personal feelings. Do you think that's something that 
you know, outside of business could be a, a huge lie that we're telling ourselves quite often as well. I think it definitely is because if you think about it, most people in our culture, it's not a natural thing for many people to ask for help or to ask for yeah. support. And so we sort of put ourselves into this strange victim place where it has to be us that does it. We're the only ones that can move something forward. And that removes us from that feeling of being a part of a team too. So that's, you do see that a lot in our culture. Yeah. Team. And I think as, um, I, I suppose men in particular as well, almost growing up in a society where, you know, men are meant to be the rock that you almost lean on and, you know, almost like we can't express feelings and almost, I suppose it kind of comes from a childhood. Like I remember, for instance, for myself growing up, it was almost like, you know, to, to be the man of the house, you have to almost, you know, be strong and you can't necessarily show much emotion. So do you find that when people feel that way, it almost comes from more of a childhood and that kind of becomes, they've subconsciously, I suppose, taken it in from a childhood and then yeah. growing up, it almost becomes an unwritten rule. Do you think? Yes, that's exactly what happens. So usually in the pre-logical phase of a child between the age of usually like five to about 11, yeah. there's a story that you'll create in your own mind about what you have to shoulder almost as a burden, right? For yourself. And so when that happens, and usually it happens a lot for the first child in the family, because there's such a burden typically of taking care of the younger children or helping your parents in some way. And so you step into this concept in your mind, which is the a lie that you have to hold everything yourself. And so then you create that story over and over again, and you bring that old concept into reality even though the current reality might be very different and you might not have to shoulder everything yeah, so that's 100 starts in childhood yeah no i think that's a really powerful one for everybody listening both within business and outside as well so we want to lie three all right number three so number three i think is the one that i notice most in our society these days is that suffering and grinding becomes the fuel for <laughs> everything you do so instead of using something positive to fuel yourself to move forward, especially for male entrepreneurs. What I've found is that it's all about, you know, and I hate to use this word, but like, don't be a wimp or don't, you know, be a man, you got to get out there and do this instead of, you know, inspiring action from a place that's more positive, right? It's a lot of that self beat down that focus, that focuses you and contributes to you grinding and, you know, really taking away a lot of the things in your life that might be more positive for you to experience. Absolutely. I suppose it, you know, it always does come down to previous, you know, childhood, because I mean, I came from a very athletic background, Um, always wanted to be a professional footballer. And it was all about grinding and suffering, you know, doesn't matter if it's raining, you know, if it's snowing, it's cold you got sprints to do, you get out you you've got to get yeah, it, done. It, a, right? yeah absolutely and I think you know that can almost become damaging to the point where it doesn't become intelligent to do so anymore because it can almost do more damage than good so do you think in a lot of scenarios that can be the case where it can almost do more damage than good in the longer run yes it definitely can and that's what I've seen I mean I've worked with a lot of you know even NFL players uh professional mm-hmm. Olympians things like that and every single person who's been in athletics in some way, shape, or form has their, has pushed their body to almost an extreme level at times. And that push has been what's gotten them some level of success. And so in their mind, mm. they believe if I don't push myself into that grinding state, I'm never going to feel successful. Absolutely. And so, you know, it might've worked when you were an athlete and it might work to get you to a certain level of success in business, but it will never get you to fulfillment and that feeling of emotional success that most of us create. Yeah. And out of curiosity, from that kind of perspective, do you notice there's a lot of similarities between an athlete 
and we'll call it a business athlete. So you've got an athlete and a, a business owner or an entrepreneur. Do you find there's a lot of similarities in those aspects? I really do. And the funny thing was this all started when we started looking at the Navy SEAL teams and trying to identify, you know, what makes somebody able to be on such an elite team. And when we started looking at that, then we started looking at entrepreneurs and pro athletes or athletes in general. And what you really see is there's this desire to push yourself beyond the boundaries of what normal people would experience or allow themselves to feel. And that's actually something that can make you successful to a certain degree, but it won't get you to that next level of success. So we see it a lot that there are a lot of athletes out there who are now business owners who get to the point where they're like, I've done everything right. I've done all the sprints, so to speak. I've done all the structures, so to speak, but I never have felt like I did when I had that one moment of success as an athlete. And so mm. that's where we really have to start looking at what were the lies that contributed to this, this need to constantly push and this need to go from goal to goal to goal instead of feeling or allowing yourself to feel when you actually achieved. Yeah, absolutely. And I can imagine that as well, because we've uh, actually coached a lot of previous athletes to become entrepreneurs as well. And a lot of the time that we found is because uh, we always have the conversation, you know, but beyond fitness and towards business as well. And one thing that we found is they almost, you know, you play a team sport growing up as an athlete, but you always have your, your strong personal goals. But then when you almost compare that where I want to win a championship or I want to be able to make X amount of tackles or, you know, get rookie of the year, whatever it may now be. But then when you take it into more of a team sport and you look at it more from a team perspective as well, and I suppose, especially with the background of the Navy SEALs, right? Because to be at that sort of elite level, you have to be a team player. So do you notice there's a big transition with these lives that help them become better team players, be that through a Navy SEAL, an athlete or a business owner, when they now learn to uncover their lives, understand their truths and then become more of a team player? Do you find it has a massive almost trajectory within their business to excel faster? It is a massive trajectory, probably 10 to 20 times what yeah. they're expecting it to be. Simply because if you think about it, right, if someone has lived in a place where they have to shoulder all the burden, they've used suffering and grinding to push themselves mm. forward and productivity has been the biggest focal point, the second those lies shifts and in, shift into the fundamental truths, all the fundamental truths go back to being a team. Because yeah. if you think about how we are as human beings, the team is everything. Absolutely. If you can't team with other people, then you cannot be successful. And so it's interesting to me that when you work on these top four lies and you start stepping into the truths, everything in your life gets easier because now you're asking for help. You're building team. 10 times the revenue comes in. It's just insane to yeah. watch what people are able to do when they don't Absolutely. do it all themselves. And I think that's why it's so important to actually understand and figure out what the lies are because i mean i went for before i ever started delegating and hiring staffing i was so scared you know i i thought oh god i can't i can't this is my baby i can't let anybody else take control but then again it was a lie that i was telling myself only i can do these things and if i give it away no one's going to care about it like i do so they're not going to perform as high and again uncovering that and, and almost scratching beneath the service to realize right where does this come from and then for me i would then it was actually off the back of your talk um, I believe it was a Nashville one. Okay. And when I was an athlete growing up, I went for a lot of professional football trials and never got in. So I almost felt like it was me against everyone. Like that person's wearing my shirt. It's a team sport, but I need my shirt. He's, he's wearing my shirt. I need to go after a teammate almost to prove my worth to get into the, into the team. And I almost felt like I carried that through towards business. Like, oh, I can't give my shirt away. And I think it was, it was one of your talks. I believe it was a Nashville one that really made me actually open my eyes and go, wow, 
that's a lie that I've been telling myself because of my athletic background, almost trying to compete with teammates or potential teammates to get into the team. So thank you for sharing that one as well. You're so welcome. Moving on to life four. All right. Well, life four. So life four actually is what you just alluded to this comparison or competition Mm -hmm. being essential for growth. So what you find, or what I found is that people will compare themselves to others to try to almost kickstart or jumpstart that negative feeling that fuels them into the suffering. And Mm -hmm. so what you'll see out there is, you know, you'll watch your yourself go through your journey and you'll be like, wow, look at this other person. This other person's doing 10 times what I'm doing, or they've got hundred people at their event and I only had 50. And what we end up doing then is we take the joy out of our own personal entrepreneurial journey and we end up then devaluing what we're here to experience, what we're here to bring to the world. So you are dead on in what you shared that your ability to identify that lie in yourself now allows you to not have to compete with anybody else because your journey is the only thing that truly matters. And going through that and valuing it is such a powerful experience. Absolutely. So do you think for for most, it's almost coming to terms with the whole idea of it's you versus you, and I guess you are your own competition? Correct. 100%. How people run with that too far? um, You know, I think it all depends on what the impact is that you're wanting to bring to the world, right? If If you can look outside of yourself and look at how is this work that I'm doing, me versus me, going to impact other people and bring more good to the world, then you've got a pretty good Mm. container for the work that you're doing. If it becomes it's me versus me, and I will go against anybody else out there just to bring this one thing into the world, and you've lost sight of the way you're going to impact humanity. And I think that's when it becomes problematic. Absolutely. I think it's almost becoming too loyal to your own cause, as opposed to, I suppose, a bigger picture you set on the front end, because I mean, I almost found myself, you know, when it came to this whole me versus me, I thought, you know, kind of referring back to the lies is, okay, if it's me versus me yesterday, I've done X or I must be more productive today. So I'm going to grind and suffer even harder than yesterday. Then I think that's where I almost kind of dip back into the lie. So I suppose it's, it's me versus me, but almost taking the smarter approach when you've uncovered the lies, you versus you in a direction that serves the bigger purpose, but it's almost putting, like you say, good back into the world, not to the point where it becomes so obsessive that it's an almost, no matter what it takes, even if it hurts the person next to me, it needs to happen. So I think that's a really, really strong and powerful point. So when somebody's kind of uncovered their lives and they've almost figured out where it comes from, what's almost like the five programs for rapid transformation? So where do we start to then transform these lives into the truths and then to obviously, you know, propel forward within business and, and in person as well? Sure. So the rapid transformation that I'm a big fan of really goes back to, you have to look at five different areas in order to really hit all the aspects of the brain, the emotional state, the neurochemistry that helps Mm. you move forward in a completely different way. So when I talk about this, I always start, you have to start at the mindset level because the mindset is what creates the mood for you to be able to shift or move yourself into a new direction. So mindset work is the first level of that. The second level is you have to build more conscious awareness and conscious awareness always goes back to what is the false obligation that I'm holding on to here that doesn't serve me that I shouldn't be so attached to so that I can learn to let that go. So that's that second step working on that conscious piece. And then the third step is this concept of the subconscious and the subconscious is the environment around you that is triggering you to take a step either closer to the truth or closer to the lie. So we really have to look at how do we structure 
our subconscious environment that we're not triggered off to the lie instead of into the truth. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are those first three. And then the last two are, you have to look at how do you build ambition for yourself to make a change that is sustainable Absolutely. So structure. Yeah. And then the last is you have to be very connected to your purpose. And for a lot of people, they don't even know what their purpose is. They could be doing a job or they could be, you know, taking steps forward towards a goal, but that goal might not be something that fills them with a deep driving purpose. So the purpose is really an essential part of those five rapid transformations. So you think for, you know, people looking at these five, do you think that they need to almost begin where they would consider a point that they struggle most? Or do you think it's most productive to go through the five in order and make sure, right, that's ticked, number two, that's ticked. Or do you think that somebody listening to this could think, right, I think my mindset's in a good place. I feel like I'm unconsciously aware, but... I feel like maybe my ambition ain't quite where it needs to be. Do you think that they should start there and almost reverse engineer? I think you could start at any one of the five tools, right? I like to do a progression typically so I can cover everything and make sure that there's no- Absolutely. Yeah, of course. What I find is if you're able to learn the different techniques, then you could very easily be like, oh, for me, it's ambition. I don't have the ambition to change because I don't think I actually have the power to change my state. And so that's where you can pick any one of the five tools, as long as you understand how to use a tool and you can then say, okay, I'm going to tackle this first. And then something else will be revealed, which indicates where to start next. Yeah, absolutely. And from experience, where do you think most people would generally, um, I wouldn't want to use the word full short, but almost where do you feel like people would struggle the most in the, in the transformation process? Where do you think out of the five people usually go, I should probably start here. This is probably my biggest thing. Do you think it usually starts most people for the mindset? Well, it really depends on where they are in their cycle as either a business owner, entrepreneur or individual, right? So what Mm -hmm. I've found is that if you're an entrepreneur and you're at a point where you don't feel like you've achieved any fulfillment, then typically you would start with the purpose because that just means that you've lost your purpose on your track to achieve a specific revenue result. Absolutely. But if you're just living your life in a normal way, shape or form, I would say what's unique is it's the conscious awareness because that mm-hmm. conscious is only 40 data points compared to the 11 million of the subconscious. And so if you <laughs> think crazy about that, that <laughs> we're all basically run by our subconscious brains all the time. And so if we can hyper fixate and focus on what do we want to put into those 40 data points and what is this perceived obligation that we've been so attached to that we have to let go of to really step into more of our power and more of our truth we can identify that i think that for most people is a huge break open point so i would say purpose and conscious awareness and letting go of those old obligations those two are the biggest ones I see all the time. Absolutely. I'd love to lean on that because I think it's such an interesting stat when you look at the conscious and the unconscious brain. So is the statistics 97% is the unconscious brain and then 3% is consciously how we intake information? Yeah, well, it's it's not necessarily how you intake information. I think it's the fact that subconsciously your brain is running 11 million data points based on all the stories and lies you told right. yourself the age of five and 11. And so we're really being programmed and pushed forward by those subconscious stories instead of the conscious desires and wants that we have, because there's so little connection between the two. So a lot of times when I find people in that disconnected space, I'm like, okay, let's do an activity or a practice that can help you connect your subconscious and your conscious. So at least, you know, they're working together 
for a brief moment in time that you can access more information about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So when you say like the practices and stuff, would that be like referring to things like, you know, affirmations and stuff, or is there more specific practices that you find generally is a great place to start? So I would, I would share with your audience that one of the best places to start is any type of inner child work. So if you've never done any inner child work, the thing about inner child work is it's basically a way to bring the subconscious brain and the conscious brain together. They just speak about it as though it is your young self and your older self coming together to support each other. The nice thing about it is once you bring the inner child and the adult self together, you're actually opening up the space for your subconscious to talk more directly to your conscious brain and to feel wow. more connected. So that type of work and a practice around that, that I do, and I'll show you right now and you can use it for your entire audience. Amazing. Um, for men, you take your left hand, you put it on your heart. And for women, you take your right hand and put it on your heart. And then you take the other hand, you put it on your stomach. So for men, it's left hand on the heart, right hand on the stomach. And for women, it's the opposite. So I'll just, if you're open to it, I'll just walk you through it right now. What yeah, I want you to absolutely. Do yeah, let's do it. So what I want you to do before we jump into it is I want you to just be aware of where in your body do you feel any tension? Do you feel it in your shoulders? Do you feel it in your chest? Do you feel any in your mind, in your back, in your gut sometimes? I would say the back. Okay. So what I want you to do is I just want you to be aware of how the sensation and change in your body might come to pass as we do this. And we're going to run through it a couple of times just so Absolutely. that you can hear it. Now I do customize it per person based on what I know their lie to be typically, of but this course. way we can just give something universal that people can use for help. Absolutely. So all right, I'm gonna have you close your eyes. I'm gonna have you speak out loud these things, okay? At one after the other as I say them. Hi. Hi. I'm listening. I'm listening. Thank you for sharing this with me. Thank you for sharing this with me. Thank you for bringing this to my attention. Thank you for bringing this to my attention. I will always have your back. I will always have your back. I will always look out for you. I will always look out for you. All of your emotions are good. All of your emotions are good. All of your thoughts are important to me. All of your thoughts are important to me. I cherish you. I cherish you. I trust you. I trust you. I love you. I love you. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. I am sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Would it be okay if we are a team? Would it be okay if we are a team? Would it be okay if we work together on this? Would it be okay if we can work together on this? Hi. Hi. I'm listening. I am listening. Thank you for sharing this with me. Thank you for sharing this with me. Thank you for bringing this to my attention. Thank you for bringing this to my attention. I'll always have your back. I will always have your back. I'll always be here for you. I will always be here for you. All of your emotions are good. All of your emotions are good. All of your thoughts are important to me. All of your thoughts are important to me. You are enough for me. You are enough for me. I love you. I love you. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. I am sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Would it be okay if we are a team? Would it be okay if we are a team? Would it be okay if we do life together? Would it be okay if we do life together? Before you open your eyes, just feel into your body. What feels different? What's the new feeling? I feel calm. Yes. I feel really calm. Yes. This is because suddenly your subconscious and conscious brains are more connected. So your nervous system is much more calm. 
Wow. Really good job. Yeah. That's Jesus. incredible. Isn't God, that? the lights when I open my eyes. That's <laughs> incredible. I almost, when I was doing it, I had no other thoughts. I mean, usually when I try to dial in on something and I'm trying to think about something in particular, it's almost like other things would almost just jump in the way and I'd, my brain would almost take a detour. And sometimes other things would be in my thought process. But just now, nothing. I didn't think of anything else. It was just closing my eyes and I guess almost connecting with the words. And it also puts you into a flow state, having those two things connected. And so for most people that I work with, I'm like, if you can start your day with this practice and take action from there, you know that the action you're taking is congruent, synced up action that is in alignment with who you are at your core. Absolutely. So it's a pretty profound thing. And you can, I mean, we used to do it five, 10, 15, 20 times a day. And we would use it whenever we were triggered by something, some emotion, okay. and we didn't know why we were feeling it. Now yeah. I've learned since. You can use it for triggers, but you can also use it just to set the tone and mood, the mindset for your day. So your action comes from a place of something beautiful rather than that grind or that suffering. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think it's best to almost just say it to yourself or maybe even record yourself to repeat back to yourself? I like to record it because then you can have it repeating and you can practice hearing your own voice, which connects you even more deeply to the subconscious. Interesting. I can't believe how calm I now feel. I feel really relaxed. Great. <laughs> Even my muscles just feel really relaxed. And how does your back feel, right? Everything's sort of feels loose. I, I know. Well, that's, that's why like, these techniques that your brain is so powerful, it creates your entire universe. So if you have just a couple of techniques that recenter you, imagine taking action from this place every day. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose, especially from a like a stress management position, if we almost feel like we're tense and stressed throughout the whole day, I mean, the exercise takes a minute, you know, a minute of your day is, is absolutely nothing. And if that does set the tone for your day, I mean, it's, it's a no brainer, right? It's revolutionary. I find, I mean, the things yeah. that people are able to create when they come from that space, it's, it's literally because in less than a minute, you calm your entire nervous system and your nervous system is what dictates the neurochemistry of your brain. So if you think about it, if you want to create more neuroplasticity in your brain and you want your brain to work more on your behalf in the way you make decisions, the way you show up, the feelings that you feel, this is literally the easiest way to have your brain release a little bit of serotonin and get you to a place that's more absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a good word as well, content. On it. I think that's a really powerful word where you just feel a little bit more content because I know for me, there's, you know, as I'm sure you've experienced a million times over working with high performers and, and business owners and entrepreneurs of an extremely high level, it's very tough to feel content, you know, to feel satisfied. And I think, you know, that's probably, I guess, one of the biggest mistakes that most people make along that kind of journey. So do you think just something that simple can help somebody just feel content in the moment, I guess? It, it is. I mean, that's the funny part. Like so many things mm. that are so simple, they're actually very elegantly working your brain so that you have that, that benefit. Absolutely. So this is actually a perfect lead in to the first fundamental truth that changes the game for all yeah. of us. If we need this to be true. So I don't know if you're okay with me just jumping in and sharing this one, because this Please is so do. Absolutely. So remember how we talked about productivity being essential for success, that lie that yeah. we tell ourselves. Yeah. Well, when you live in that lie, you're actually violating the fundamental rule of connection. Because okay. if you're in extreme productivity, then you're disconnecting from different areas of your life that are actually very important for you to feel that feeling of success. 
Right. And so the rule of connection is that you have to, in order to create connection, you have to have authenticity, vulnerability, and trust. So if you're in this hyper state of productivity, you're not living by that formula, which means you're pushing yourself into disconnection every day from yourself. Interesting. That's very interesting indeed, because I definitely feel like it is probably very common for a high performer to be within that state. Would you th- do you think most, I suppose most high performers that start with you, would you say almost all begin within that kind of state? Yes, every single one does. Imagine. <laughs> you know, but that's, that's literally the thing that's fueled them. And it's the thing they've received a claim from, from society at large. They've been rewarded for that type of behavior. And yeah. all of a sudden they, when they're like, oh my God, this isn't working anymore. I don't feel anything when I do these things. Absolutely. And like, well, would you like to feel more? Would you like yeah. to feel more? Absolutely. We'll start. And I think if you can really connect with it as well, I suppose your productivity off the back of it is going to be much more effective as well. And I mean, the key here is right. If you think about it, if you start from a place of connection where you are being authentic, vulnerable, and trusting the people around you, then every interaction you have is going to be 10 times the power of what it would normally be if you were in that disconnected productivity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Feel that more. They feel it. Absolutely. And I think with that as well, you know, when we, when we look at, you know, communication, um, with 55% of it being body language, you know, and 38% tonality, 7% words. With this, I suppose, if you are having that much deeper connection and your body language, I suppose, can really tell a whole new story that potentially wasn't happening before when you were feeling very disconnected. I suppose, do you find people that are disconnected, their body language, I suppose, could be a little bit more enclosed, almost like they're hiding, or do you notice much of a change in body language? Well, it depends on the body and it depends on the trauma the body's gone through, right? So okay. some people when they're in, in a disconnected state, they become very rigid and almost robotic. And mm-hmm. other people that are in a very disconnected state become very hunched and almost like closed off from the world. Yeah. So I usually see those two things happening. But when you're in this connection place, like your chest is open, your heart is yeah. open, you're lively, you're like wanting to have that interaction with others. And if you think about it, like a, you know, like a business owner, or just somebody going up about their normal day, if you're coming home at night and your capacity is shot because you've been working so hard, so productive all day, mm. you don't have anything else to give to the family that might be there. Yeah. So you're building disconnection as part of the family culture because of the way you're running your business. It's very, very interesting. So you, what, what we're kind of looking at there is how this within ourselves now, within the lives that we tell ourselves can almost become generational as well. And we could almost kickstart the problem for generations to come. Correct. And that's that's why we hear about generational trauma, right? Because it comes from. And that's really interesting because I suppose if we were to even almost take this back, you know, through, I suppose, ancestors, if you will, that would have had a lot more trauma than we do to this day. Do you think that a lot of, you know, if we, we look at more so generational, do you think a lot of it can almost be passed down where this is almost like the norm within the family tree, if you will? Do you think that can almost kicks up back to like a great, great, great grandfather, grandmother, for instance? It, it totally can. And the thing that's, I mean, there's a lot of science that proves that this does occur for trauma specifically yeah. and for, and trauma creates disconnection. So, and it also, trauma also causes issue with genes, the genes of our bodies. And so if you think about it, right, if, if you were born to your mother and your mother was in fight or flight because she had fear running her system, 
your system is going to take on that microbiome in the gut from your mother that will create more fight or flight, more anxiety. So that's why I think there's so much anxiety in the world is because generationally there's been a lot of fear and there's been a lot of um, fight or flight occurring for a lot of mothers in their experiences, you know, during pregnancy and up to giving birth and beyond. Absolutely. And I think that's why it's so important to really take this stuff seriously, especially when we look at the difference between, you know, being selfish to be selfless. It's not just about you, right? You know, I think for, for, for most people that can be very selfless and always want to think about other people first, this is almost where you start. This is where you start. You, you start with, with self. And I mean, if that can then kickstart a, a more productive and a better and a happier generation thereafter, it's, it's, it needs to be an absolute staple of things that people, you know, begin with, right? It does. I 100% agree with you because literally if you change one thing in you, it means that your child or the next generation of people's lives that you touch won't feel that vibrational yeah. energy coming off of you. They'll feel something different. And yeah, that changes absolutely. the game in every way you interact. So I think you're dead on there. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And off the back of that as well, one story you told in uh, both Vegas and Nashville that I thought was, it was really eye-opening. Um, and it kind of comes back to, to the lies that we tell ourselves and how trauma can almost, you know, kickstart a chain of reaction, if you will. And it was a story of the tiger. And if you wouldn't mind, I would absolutely love for you to tell our audience that story. Of course. I love this story because it really for me, made this concept of trauma so real. I all of a sudden was like, there's no way we can not focus on our traumas, even though, you know, the way society describes trauma, some traumas seem huge, some are small, but really small, medium, large trauma. Yeah. So let me tell the story and then poke at it and ask me more questions if there's any part of it that you want me to go deeper into. Okay? Absolutely. Okay. So uh, Reese, basically the story of the tiger is that say I'm a cave person and I decide one day I'm going to come out of my cave. I'm going to walk down to the, the lake or the water that's by my cave. And I'm going to decide, oh gosh, there looks like, it looks like there's this beautiful fuzzy orange and black rock. And I'm going to sit on that rock. I sit on the rock, the fuzzy orange and black thing becomes a tiger. It rips off half my face. I have to now survive, get somewhere safe. So I go all the way back to my cave. The first thing that's going to happen when that tiger attacks me after I keep myself safe and figure out how to survive it is I'm going to learn something from that encounter. So in trauma, we're always gonna learn something from what happened to us to help us survive so that we never have to be in that situation again, allegedly, Absolutely. right? Yeah. So the tiger rips off at my face. I go back to my cave to try to repair myself and prep for surviving. When I go to sleep that night, what's gonna happen? I'm gonna to start to dream. Yeah. Right. And what is a dream? A dream is learning the lesson again, over and over again. This is basically yeah. what's creating the neurochemical, the neurochemical path in the brain to help the brain uncover the lesson that needs to be learned so that you never end in that experience again with the tiger. But then you wake up and you look outside your cave and you really want to get some food, but you're, you're scared because you just had this horrible run-in with something you didn't even know was a tiger. And so you look outside and a bird flies by and you sort of shock. Yeah, like, oh my yeah. gosh tiger okay then the next thing that happens is you look outside and you see all the bushes that are out in front of your cave the first thing you do is you put a tiger behind every single bush even though consciously you don't want there to be any tigers anywhere ever but subconsciously your brain's like up oh, i learned a lesson yeah, fuzzy yeah. black things are gonna kill me so i have to put them everywhere to make sure that i can be hyper vigilant yeah. to avoid that exact thing so even though 
there's a part of the conscious brain that's like, I don't want there ever to be tigers again in my life. You're still putting them everywhere around you. And then you get the reward of being a very good and skilled hunter because now you're hyper aware. You're even more hyper aware than anybody else around you. And your whole tribe is like, oh, Annie's the amazing hunter. She can see tigers even when they're not there. Yeah, so we're going to yeah. hunt Yeah, now, absolutely. <laughs> this is the part that really gets tricky. So even though I'm now an amazing hunter because I'm hyper fixated on putting tigers everywhere, even when they're not, the second the tribe moves in next door, that's the, the tiger killing tribe. They've got all the pelts, the tigers on their back. It would be the best tribe for me to join because I could finally relax and be calm. I could pick yeah. berries. They could hunt the tigers. I could literally never worry about tigers again because I see them as fuzzy orange and black things because they have that tiger pelt on their back. I'm going to do everything in my power yeah. to avoid that tiger, that tiger killing tribe, even though Absolutely. that's the best thing for me. So this is where the brain really messes with us when it comes to trauma. Yeah. Our subconscious brain will create a story or a lie or what we perceive in that moment to be true as a lesson that we learned. And even though the environment has now changed where I could literally have everything I want, I will run screaming from it because that looks like what I think I have to most avoid. That's so interesting. I think the thing on that that's so interesting as well is as soon as that trauma happens once and you dream about it, and it almost becomes a lesson that you consistently tell yourself. It's like, right. you can almost refer it back to just like everyday practices. Like my partner got a new car recently and it was, um, I was like, oh my God, I've never seen that, that, that color before. Like, you know, that's, that's a new color. That's great. There's no other colors like that on the road. Then the next day I see like four of them, the exact same ones. But because that's in, you know, almost stapled in my brain at that moment in time, I'm consistently seeing that same car. So suppose, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but it, it, does it kind of refer back to trauma? Like you, you see an experienced trauma. So now that exact same trauma almost becomes everywhere. Like the tiger, when you, you almost see, right, there's one behind that bush, there's one behind that bush, there's one behind this bush. Yes, it becomes your filter for everything. And then yeah. here's the crazy part. Even though you might've learned a truth or a trauma or seen a tiger when you were between five and 11, you come up with a story that fits the pre-logical brain. So it's not mm -hmm. a logical lesson necessarily. Absolutely. And so what happens then is you bring this not logical lesson and your brain goes back to that every time something even remotely looks like a tiger. So for example, I was working with an entrepreneur yesterday and I just want to bring this up because it's a helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So he had had a business failure um, maybe 10 years ago. And in this business failure, he had decided or he had learned about himself that, you know, I really have to focus as an uh, as an engineer on what I'm building. When I revert into my engineer way of thinking, I can hopefully get myself through the failure. Yeah, yeah. So today, as he's building his company, he was defaulting into that old way of being where he's like, oh, I'm going to be the engineer. I'm not going to be the business owner. And he was taking action that wasn't serving or growing his, his profit line. Yeah. So yeah. Like, why am I doing this? Why do I keep reverting? I'm like, because that was the only thing that kept you safe during this highly traumatized wow. yeah. time of life. So this is an example of, we might not want to use the tool, but our brain does want to use the tool. It wants yeah. to find it. So Absolutely. if you know what our tiger is, we can't necessarily shift the pattern.
Do you find we almost try to conflict with what the brain is trying to tell us as well? So our brain is trying to refer back to the tools it has from previous experience of what kept us safe. Do we almost try to conflict with it and almost ignore it, push it to one side and almost try to, I suppose, go with heart or gut instead? Yes, 100%. Yeah. Well, our brain, because remember, 40 data points on the conscious, 11 million on the subconscious, <laughs> it's almost like we fight ourselves and go into autopilot mode, which is the mode of the subconscious. Like you've had that experience where you go to drive home and it's maybe a 30 minute drive. And then all of a sudden you're there and you're like, I don't even remember driving home. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That state of flow. Yeah. That when we're in that subconscious place on autopilot mode, allowing the subconscious brain to use the tools that it's used in the past. Yeah. We sometimes we'll have that conflict between the autopilot mode and the conscious thought of, I don't want this to be the case, but I'm creating it to be the case because yeah. my subconscious is more powerful. Yeah. And I think that is the most powerful state more often than not that we can bring and, and put ourselves in when we're in flow state, you know, you don't think about the toilet. You don't think about what you're doing on the weekend. You don't think about hunger. You don't even think about drinking. You're just in absolute flow state and you go, look at your watch. Oh my God, it's me three hours. Well, it's almost like the same as this podcast. It feels like it's been three minutes, but you know we're about 45 minutes in. It's like constant flow and you're, I still feel so bloody calm. But we're in like constant flow and it's such a powerful state to get into. So I think that's a really, really cool way to come to the end of the podcast. So I think that's such a powerful thing for people to understand and learn. So thank you so much for sharing that. So for those listening, where could they find out more about you, your work and even working with you as well? Well, the easiest way to do it is to find me on Instagram, which is northstar.annie, A-N-N-I-E. That's the easiest way to get in touch too. Fantastic. So I will put that into the show notes. So I highly, highly recommend everybody jump on the show notes and click the link that will take you straight over to Annie's page because this stuff right here for everybody listening, not just for entrepreneurs and business owners, but in person as well. If you're trying to kickstart that chain of reaction and almost create a better generation there after you, create a better business or just be a better person, there's no better place to start than within self and using the practices we went over over the last 45 minutes will be the best place that you can start. So if you've watched it once or listened to this once, listen to it again, because there's so many, I know as soon as I finish, I'm going to put it onto record and listen to it straight away myself. So thank you so much for jumping on and sharing your wisdom and we'll see everybody again in the next episode.